I want to tell you about someone that you all know, and I want you to see if you guys can guess on who this person is. This man was 23 years old when he lost his first job, and then he decided to run for state senate, his first political position, and he lost. At age 24, his business failed. At age 26, his childhood sweetheart died. At age 27, he had a nervous breakdown. At ages 34 and then again at 39, he ran for the House of Representatives and lost both times. So at 45 and at 49, he ran for the U.S. Senate and lost both times. That sounds like someone who should just give up, right? Throw in the towel. Come on. Doesn't he get a hint? Just give up. Do you know who that person was? Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, because he, at the age of 51, ran for president, and we know him because he is one of the greatest, if not the greatest presidents our nation has ever seen. But think of all the challenges and trials he had for years, all the failures and losses that he had again and again and again. When we're in those positions, because we get there, we feel like we should just throw in the towel. We want to give up. We just want to say, forget it. Forget it. I don't think I can keep going forward. I don't think I can make it through this trial. I don't think I can get out of the pit that I'm in, whether you dug it or you got thrown in it. You say, I don't know how I can keep moving. And that's what our series Overcome is about. And we've seen Joseph, who we've been looking at for several weeks, get thrown in a terrible pit, right? And we're learning from him today, especially we're going to learn how we can overcome and an important lesson about overcoming today from the life of Joseph. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to chapter 41 of the book of Genesis. We're going to be there. We're going to have the main verses up on the screen if you don't have a Bible or smartphone to follow along as well. We're going to be looking at the life of Joseph because he is one of those people who you'd say, man, shouldn't you just give up? Remember, at the beginning of our story, we learned that Joseph was the favorite child of his father and all his other brothers hated him because of that. They were jealous of him. And yeah, we learned that maybe Joseph did some foolish things, maybe borderline sinful, but what his father and what his brothers did to him was way worse. Do you remember that? Yeah, he might have been wearing a coat and kind of talking when he shouldn't have. But man, that doesn't deserve getting thrown in a pit, literally, in that cistern. It doesn't mean that someone should be sold into slavery by his own brothers. Taken hundreds of miles from his homeland and his home native language to a foreign nation where he'd be sold as a slave. That doesn't deserve that, does it? You look at Joseph's life and you think, man, he didn't deserve any of that stuff that happened to him. And we've talked about the pit. Yes, he got thrown into a cistern that one day by his brothers when he was 17. But the pit was really just the beginning of his pit. His trial, his tribulations, his temptations that he would face over the next 13 years of his life. Because after he got sold into Egypt, into the house of Potiphar, he was a good servant. He was a good slave and he he did a good job. He worked effectively and excellently for his boss, Potiphar. And he elevated him, and he was the head of almost the entire household right underneath the master, Potiphar. And yet still, Potiphar's wife had it out for him. She wanted him. She lusted after him. And she uh, harassed him and said, hey, I want to sleep with you. And this sexual harassment went on and on and on, no matter what Joseph said. No, no, I can't do that. And what's really interesting is what he said in it. Yeah, he said, I would be sinning against my master. But he said the most important thing was that he would be sinning against God, right? Be sinning against God. And and where I stand before God is the most important. So he said no, even though it meant that she grabbed his cloak and then accused him of sexual assault. 
Because of that, the angry master Potiphar took Joseph and threw him this time not into a pit, but into prison. From the pit to slavery to prison. Could it get any worse? And we learned in that week when we talked about Joseph getting thrown into prison that sometimes character is costly. In fact, that is what character is. Character is costly. It's going to cost you a lot. And for Joseph, it cost him a lot. He was working really hard. He was doing what he was supposed to do as a servant. He was also doing what he was supposed to do before the eyes of God. And yet, even though he did what was right, bad things happened to him. Where's karma there? doesn't seem fair, right? It wasn't fair. It was unjust. And then once Joseph got into prison, he was a good prisoner. He helped out all the other prisoners. In fact, so much that the prison warden basically gave him control. You administer the whole prison. You're such a good person. And when Pharaoh's um, closest friends, two of his close friends, got thrown into prison, the baker and the cupbearer, for offending Pharaoh, the king, Joseph helped them out. He assisted them. And when they have dreams, Joseph, through the power of God, interpreted their dreams for them. And, and remember even what he said to those two guys. He said, hey, I can't do it. But you know who can? God, so tell me your dreams. Tell me your dreams. And he helped those guys, gave them the right dreams and the right interpretation to those dreams so that the first man, the cupbearer, actually made it out three days later, just as Joseph told him he would. But we learned also that the baker didn't quite make it and he lost his head. He got killed three days later, just as Joseph foretold. And yet, even after helping these guys in the prison, fellow prisoners, he could have just said, hey, 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 you know, I've been here so long and your trial just started. Try waiting a few years, then I'll help you out. Sometimes we feel that way when we're in a trial like you. (laughs) Your trial is nothing. But Joseph helped him out anyways. And we think, oh, finally, he's done what's right. He's helped out his friend. He waited well. We learned four things about waiting from him last week. Do you remember this? To work diligently, assist others, invite God's help, and try to get out. That's what you're supposed to do in the waiting. He did all of it right. He's our example. We can learn from him. And yet still, he was forgotten by his friend that he helped, the cupbearer. And for two more years, Joseph languished in prison with a collar around his neck, shackles bruising his feet. He did what was right again, and bad things happened to him. That's not how it's supposed to work, right? If you do good things, good things are supposed to happen to you, right? Bad things are only supposed to happen to bad people. You think Joseph would get a clue and just give up, right? Just throw in the towel. Come on, why are you still trying to keep your integrity? Why are you still trying to honor God and do good? Just do something for yourself for once. I mean, give up, man. You're going to be in there languishing for the rest of your life. Why don't you just ignore God and do something a little more fun? That's how we feel when we get in those situations, right? I've been doing what I'm supposed to. I've been trying to live a righteous life, live with a good conscience and integrity before God, and yet bad things keep happening to me. It's not fair. Maybe it's time to just try something different, do something for me. Who cares if it's a little sin? I mean, for all the good that I've been doing... Sitting right here, man, who's going to hold it against me? Is God really going to care? That's how we feel when we do good things and bad things happen to us, which happens again and again in our life. We want to give up sometimes. Maybe just run away and get out of the situation. I can't handle this anymore. There's too much of a burden, too much responsibility that I have in my life. I need to get out of here. This trial is too much for me. Time to give up. I'm sure Joseph felt that way after 13 years. Thirteen years. That's a long trial. Some of us have our trials maybe that long, maybe even longer. We just say, maybe it's time to give up. Give up God. 
Why would I obey him if he doesn't give me good things? And I'm sure that that's what Joseph would have been feeling in this time. Because we feel that way in our lives. But then, Pharaoh had a dream. It's interesting, uh, with all these dreams that are happening in the Joseph story, right? Joseph had those two dreams at the beginning of the story about his brothers and his father and mother bowing down to him. Then there was the two dreams of the, the baker and the cupbearer. But now Joseph has a dream. Actually, two dreams. Interesting. The symmetry here. Pharaoh has two dreams. And in the first dream, he looks out and he is standing on the edge of the Nile. The Nile River, the great river of Africa that brought um, uh, water to all of the crops in all of Egypt. And Pharaoh's standing there at this beautiful wide expanse of the Nile. And he sees seven cows coming up out of the river. And they're grazing among the grass, the reeds on the river. And these seven cows are fat. That's what you want when you're talking about cows, right? They are fat cows. They are sleek. Their hair is is beautiful and groomed. These are healthy, happy, fat cows. Perfect for eating, right? This is what you want. Sorry for those of you who are vegetarians. This is what you want. He sees these seven cows grazing there among the reeds. But then there were seven more cows that came up. And these seven cows were gaunt and skinny, and unhealthy. And they walked over to the big, fat, sleek cows and started to eat them. Sorry, vegetarians again. Started to eat those cows, and the scrawny cows ate the plump, fat cows bite by bite until they devoured them. And and it says in this dream that Pharaoh had that the, the skinny cows were still skinny. They were still gaunt. They were still sickly. And Pharaoh woke up. What was that about? That was weird. I'm sure he was thinking. But then he fell back asleep that same night and had a second dream. And in this second dream, he sees from one stalk in the field, a stalk of wheat, he sees seven heads of grain grow. And these seven heads of the grain are healthy. They're strong. They're, they're, they're full. That's what you want if you're a farmer. You want that right before the harvest. But then he also dreams seven skinny Stalks coming up. These seven heads of grain are sickly and gnarled, like they have been weathered by the east wind. And those seven heads of grain devour the first seven heads, and they are still just as skinny and nasty and gnarly. And Pharaoh wakes up again. Well, that was weird. I'm sure he thought that was crazy. So what he did, we talked about in, in the Egyptian culture at the time. They were really big into dreams. They thought this was how the gods were speaking to people. And they had all these um, mystics and magicians and sages who could interpret dreams. And they had written book after book. Some of them still exist to this day of how to interpret these dreams. So Pharaoh goes to his officials and said, who can interpret my dream? And this is where we pick up our passage in verse 8. In the morning, Pharaoh's mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. With all the books, with all the wisdom that they had accumulated over years, they can't interpret these two dreams that Pharaoh has. Perhaps it didn't fit into their books of explaining what the cows mean and the symbolism of the grain, but they couldn't figure it out. Or, or I think maybe more likely they were afraid of Pharaoh. Because he has these two vivid dreams. He's very troubled. What do they mean? What do they mean? And we already know that two of his close friends 
the cupbearer and the baker who offended Pharaoh were thrown into prison and one of them lost his head because of it. So these magicians are probably thinking, I don't know if I want to wade into that. I don't want to mess around with this Pharaoh. Yeah, afraid. Or maybe they're saying, hey, this is a pretty specific dream. If I interpret it kind of generally and vaguely and, and nothing happens, or if the opposite happens of what I predict, then I'm sure going to lose my head. These guys are terrified, and they don't want to give Pharaoh an interpretation. But we know another guy who's pretty good at interpreting dreams, right? And the cupbearer who would have been there with Pharaoh, his friend, serving in the king's palace, says, Hey, you know, I, I messed up. I probably should have told you about this, but I met a man when I was in prison. Do you remember that time I offended you? Don't think about it too long. But there was a man there, and he told me about my dreams and interpreted them for me, and exactly what he said happened. Exactly what he said. So Pharaoh says, get me that man. Get me that Joseph who had been in prison for years, who had been forgotten about by these men for two years, and for 13 years had been away from his family, away from his language, the people he loved, the culture he knew. And it says they shaved him and brought him out of the dungeon. It's interesting they say he shaved him because that was kind of part of uh, Egyptian culture at the time. They probably not only shaved his beard because he'd probably grown one of those long, scraggly prisoner beards, you know, in every prisoner movie you see. But they also probably shaved his head because at the time, men in Egyptian culture shaved all their facial hair. So they get him out there. They put him on some nicer clothes because he's probably in nasty, ratty, filthy, disgusting, smelly clothes from his time in prison. And they bring Joseph out now, maybe to see sunlight for the first time in years. Now, if I were Joseph, I would be thinking, now's my shot. Now I can finally get out. I've got to use this situation to take advantage of it. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out. I've got to do whatever I can. But it's so interesting when Pharaoh comes to him, what Joseph's response is. So in, in 41, verse 15, we read, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you, that you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. This is a chance, right? I can do that. Sure, yeah. I can do it. Whatever you need, Pharaoh, I'll, I'll be at your beck and call. I'll do whatever you can. Because he wants to get out of there, right? Take whatever shot you can. But listen what he actually says. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh. What? That's unexpected. He's got to take his shot to get out, right? He's got to do whatever he can to get out of prison. This is his chance to get out of the pit. He says, I cannot do it. Why? But, he says, God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. See, he knew that he could not interpret dreams, even though he had that reputation, even though he had gotten another person out of prison. But he knew that whole time, and he had told the cupbearer, hey, this isn't me. I can't do it. He knew that God is the one who gives the gift to interpret dreams and not himself. He had nothing in himself. He gave all the credit, all the glory, all the honor to God, even there standing before Pharaoh, knowing that it mean, might mean he gets thrown back in prison. Wow. Interesting. I can't do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. What boldness. What boldness to rely on faith in God, too, at that moment. Say, I can't do it, but I know who can come through. 
I mean, you would think in Joseph's situation, yeah, God came through with that last interpretation, but he did what he was supposed to do and got thrown into prison. Then he did what he was supposed to do and got forgotten about in prison. And yet still, again and again, he trusts God. He keeps moving forward in faith. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams. He retells these, these two dreams that he had and tells him about the, the fat cows and he tells him about the, the grains. And, and Joseph says to him, he says, you haven't had two different dreams. You've had one dream. See, both of those dreams use, are using different imagery for the same meaning, he says. They have the same interpretation, Joseph said, and God is telling you what he is going to do. He's not hedging. He's not giving a vague answer. He's not saying that the, the cows represent Pharaoh's mother, right? No, he's giving specific answers, and that's what he's going to do here. He gives an exact, specific answer because he says that both the seven fat cows and the seven healthy grains represent seven years of abundance for Egypt. There will be good rain. There will be good, healthy crops. You will harvest, and there will be plenty, abundance for the entire nation. But those seven skinny cows and the seven sickly grains represent seven bad years. A specific time, right? Seven bad years of famine that will come upon the land where there won't be enough water, that the crops won't grow, the cows and the, all the animals that you have will be unhealthy and people will starve and die. And that's pretty bold. That's pretty specific. I think I would be a little vaguer, right? Well, but he says, this is what your dream means. And God is telling you exactly what he will do. But then he takes another step. Now, this is really bold. I really do think those magicians and, and sages and wise men were just too afraid to tell Pharaoh, what if I get offended? What if I get my head cut off, get thrown into prison? But Joseph goes one step further and he says, let me tell you what you should do, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What you need to do is take one man who is wise and can administrate, and what he should do is then get grain from all the nation, people giving an extra tax of 20% of their grain, and then you build storehouses all around your nation, and you keep that grain for seven years. And after the seven years of abundance end, then you will have enough grain to feed your people. That's what you should do, king. That's pretty bold, right? I don't know if any of us would be that bold to talk to a king, a dictator. Even the president, would we be that bold to talk to? I think not. And yet, Joseph again risks his life because what if he gives advice when it's not his place to give advice and he gets thrown back into prison or loses his head? And yet Joseph knows what God is telling and he knows exactly what needs to be done so he doesn't hesitate to say, this is what you should do to a king. That's pretty bold, right? But Joseph knew what God had told him. He had a sense of what was going on. He knew exactly what to do from God, and he said it. Once again, he does what he needs to do. He gives honor to God, and he is bold in his faith, even though it might cost him a lot here. And time and time again, we've seen Joseph do the right thing, and the wrong thing happen as a result, right? He does good and bad things happen to him. He is righteous and then he gets thrown into prison. He gets sold into slavery. He gets forgotten about. He should learn, right? No, no, no. He knew that he needed to continue to be faithful and do what was right. Even if it still might cost him everything. 
So we read in verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked him, can we find someone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God or maybe of the gods? Then verse 39, Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Whoa. After all the bad things that happened to Joseph, despite he did the good things, finally, something good happens, right? Finally, Pharaoh elevates him. He takes him out of prison and now makes him second in command in all of Jesus or all of uh, Egypt. He is the grand vizier of Egyptian royalty. Even the other royal princes would do what he said. Pharaoh gave Joseph control of all the land, and it says that he rode about around the entire countryside, and whatever he said, people did. And he had people riding in front of him on his chariot who would say, "Make way." And people would bow down and obey exactly what this man says. Because Pharaoh gave him his signet ring, which was his seal of approval. And if someone had that signet ring, they could do exactly what they wanted because it was Pharaoh's word. It's Pharaoh's order now. And Joseph did. He set up these um, storehouses all around the nation and collected the grain for seven years of abundance, exactly like was predicted in those dreams. And he did that so that when the seven years of famine came, he had all the grain that the nation needed to provide for all the people. And as we'll see starting next week, even people outside of the nation of Egypt. All that had been told in these dreams had come true. Pharaoh finally took Joseph and lifted him out of the prison. Isn't it amazing the contrast we see here in this story? Isn't it amazing the great reversal that happened in Joseph's life? I mean, think about it. He had been rebuked by his own father, and now he was respected by the king of Egypt. He had been hated by his brothers, and now he was loved by a people he had just met. He was mocked by his brothers, and now he was being obeyed by strangers. He was stripped by his brothers before being thrown into the pit, and now he was clothed with royal robes. Interesting. His hands, though they had worked and been gnarled from hard labor for years, now bore a ring on them. His neck that had been enclosed with an iron uh, ring now had a golden necklace, it tells us in the, the scriptures. What a great reversal for Joseph. He had been forgotten, and now he would be remembered forever. He was lonely and by himself, and now he was given a very prestigious woman by Pharaoh to be his bride. And he had two sons. And even though he had that pain of years and years of his past weighing down on him, he named his first son Manasseh, which means forgotten, because he said that God has caused me to forget all my troubles and my family of origin. All that is in the past. I went from the pit to the palace. I think it's really interesting in verse 14. I skipped over this. But in verse 14, there's something really interesting happening. It says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. Remember that? He had to get shaved and everything. This word for dungeon in the Hebrew is different than the word from jail we saw in chapters past. This word for dungeon is the exact same Hebrew word 
for the pit that Joseph got thrown into by his brothers. The cistern. They brought him from the pit. I, I find that so interesting because when we have our own pit, God is saying there is a way to overcome. There is a way to get out. It, it might take a while. It might take maybe a lifetime, it seems. Years, decades. But there is a way to get out. There is a way to get taken out of your pit. And what Joseph learned, and I hope that we learn too, is that we must honor God. And he will honor you. Honor God and he will honor you. It might be again and again, obedience, trying to live a righteous life, avoiding temptation and sin. It might be working and being faithful to others and helping others around you. And maybe giving God the credit when you could have taken it for yourself. But if you continually honor God with your life again and again, just as Joseph did, he will honor you. I mean this. Let's see this in a different place. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, God said, I promise that I will honor those who honor me. This is what he was saying in the midst of Samuel, the good young priest, and Eli, the bad priest. And he says, if you honor me, I will honor you. This is what God's promise is for us. That we must be faithful. We must be obedient and righteous. And God will not forget. He will always Reward. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Karen Brandt sent me an email. I, I, maybe you've seen this news story about a pastor who was thrown into prison. She's like, this is like a modern day Joseph story. And I said, yeah, it really is. Just happened a few weeks ago. He was a missionary to Turkey and served a small church there for years. His name was Andrew Bronson. And, and Pastor Andrew was there for years serving this people, loving them. And he got thrown into prison by Turkish officials because... He was supposedly a terrorist for being a spy for espionage. He was thrown into prison, and for two years he languished in prison before uh, you know, politics maneuvered and all these different things happened. And then within 24 hours, this is what the president himself said, within 24 hours he went from a Turkish prison to the White House. And he was meeting there with our president in the Oval Office, and he was able to lead a prayer while all the eyes of the world were watching. Interesting, Right? God still does that for people. He still honors people. I just spoke to someone last week who, who has been in a pit throughout this whole series, and they said, even before that, they're like, I've been struggling, I lost my job, I don't know what's going on. But then even this last week, this woman told me, you know, God did something unusual, strange. I don't even know how he did it, but he's provided for our family financially, and I don't even have to look for a job. Even better than what she could have hoped. See, God sometimes works in the strangest, most unusual ways. And I think for Joseph, he could have never have guessed that he would go from the pit to the palace in a matter of hours. I don't think he could have. None of us can guess when that will happen. But God works in unusual, strange, remarkable ways to those who honor him with their lives, to those who put him first. I know some of you are having some questions in your mind. I'm going to try to get to them, because the first one is, well, why did all this happen to begin with? Why did all this happen to begin with? And I think we have to think a little bit deeper about this. We've talked about the character that God was developing in Joseph throughout this whole thing. But think about this. Would Joseph have had the humility to say to Pharaoh, I can't interpret your dream, if he hadn't been thrown by his brothers and hated by his brother, because basically he was telling them all about his dream of everyone bowing down to him? Pride. 
probably from that event, he learned that he needs to be humble. And when he did what was right and bad things happened, he realized, hey, I am not in charge of my life and of my fate. Someone bigger than me must exist. He, he probably learned a lot of tact from how he went wrong with his brothers. How to talk to people so they don't hate you. He probably learned a lot of administration skills from running Potiphar's house and then running the prison. Enough so that when he got into the position to run an entire nation, he knew how to do it. He probably um, learned so much from all this time. And, and probably his time dealing with the criminals and a harsh master made him perfect for politics. Right? Honestly, think of all the things that Joseph had to learn through this trial to prepare him for the position that he would be in now. So when we go through our trials, we might not get it until the end. Even after that, we might not figure out, well, why did that specific thing have to happen? But God in that is working in us to develop character when we trust him. To prepare us for what he has for us in our lives. So that's the why. Maybe we get a little bit of the why now that we know that the position he is in now. And some of us are saying, well, Matt, how long do I keep going? Well, how long did Joseph have to keep going? 13 years? Maybe for you it'll be longer. Maybe it'll be decades. But we have to keep going. We have to keep being faithful and honoring God again and again and again, no matter what happens. You know, we're, we're told this. We're, we're told this again and again in the Scriptures to continue going and to, to not give up. Um, and I'll, I'll show you a few in just a second. <laughs> But there's a really popular poem among Christians called Footprints in the Sand. Have you heard of that? Read it? Great poem, right? Beautiful about, you know, there's only one set of footprint for a while in the sand, and God is saying, hey, that's when I, you know, carried you, right? James MacDonald um, took that poem, though, and he rewrote it for what actually is our story. Let, let's read this poem that he has. He said, one night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some strangers' prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? These prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they're too big for my feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow the walk of faith, you would not know. I got tired and fed up, and there I dropped you. On your butt. <laughs> because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. Isn't that more like it? It's more like it because we get to those tough points. I'm doing what I'm supposed to, but bad things keep happening. It doesn't make sense. It's not fair. And we want to just give up. That's exactly when we need to push forward, keep moving on. In faith, take that next step. Saying, I don't know when I will be honored by God, but I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep being faithful as long as it takes. I'm going to keep growing in this time, even though I feel like I've grown enough. I'm going to keep moving ahead. Now the big question, when? And now we ask, when is that going to happen, man? When? I don't know. But I know it will be at the right time. That's what we're told in 1 Peter 5, verse 6. We read, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. At the right time. Not before, not after. At the perfect right time, God will come through and will honor you. 
I don't know when that will be. I don't know if it'll take forever. But we still need to be faithful. We still need to be humble. We still need to honor God in all we do. And he'll say, I won't forget you. Even though you're forgotten about by everyone else, I will never forget you. I will honor you at the right time. And here's another thing. We are promised that we will be honored, but we will be lifted up by the mighty power of God. But we are also promised that we will suffer as Christians. That we will be hated, Jesus told us. That we will be persecuted. We're promised that. We're promised that our lives will be hard as Christians. It won't be perfect. So here's the thing. Sometimes we may not see the ultimate honoring of our lives in our lifetime. But that doesn't mean it won't be coming. In James 1.12, we're told, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Though it feels like maybe your whole life is a pit, and we will all face that trial at the end. But even in that, we can know that when we honor God, he will honor us. He will come through. He will lift us up. If you're thinking, well, Matt, I don't know when it's going to happen in my life. I don't have that dream that even Joseph had at the beginning of his brothers bowing down to him. How how can I know what's going to happen to me? But here's maybe a dream that I can put into your heart from Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Jesus said to the one who overcomes, I will grant the right to sit with me on my throne just as I myself overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now that's something we can dream about. We can take that to the bank. If we overcome just as Jesus overcame, because that is the ultimate overcomer, right, Jesus? That even though he faced suffering for doing nothing wrong, injustice after injustice happened to him, and to the point where he was crucified, condemned as a criminal, killed, executed for crimes he did not commit, he was thrown into the pit of the tomb for three days. But on the third day, he overcame even death and rose to eternal life. He says, just like I did that, if you honor me, you will be honored by my Father in heaven. Just as I overcame even the grave, you will overcome the grave. Whatever pit you have, whatever suffering, whatever trial you go through now, I don't know how long it's going to be. Well, he does. We don't. But you will be lifted up. You will overcome. So I hope this message gives you strength and encouragement. As we have the band come up, we're going to have an extended time of worship right now. The last um, couple of weeks, we've introduced a song, and we've just sung part of the song, if you've noticed that. It's a song called uh, Here Again, but we're going to finish that song this week because we know that no matter what we've gone through, God will never leave us or forsake us. No matter how long it takes, God will be there. And if we seek to honor him, and all we do, he will honor us. And that's what we're going to sing about. Then we're going to take communion here in a few minutes for those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ to remember Jesus' death and his resurrection. And we're going to praise the God who lifts people up. Because I know some people in here need that right now. They need that promise and that encouragement today. And I hope that you hear this message and you know that even for one more day, one more week, you can be faithful. You can do it. Let's pray. Um, Lord God, we just... um, call out to you because for some of us we don't see the end we're still in the midst of our pit we haven't made it to the palace we don't know when that will happen we're still learning things we know god but but would you give us the strength to persevere to keep moving forward to keep honoring you and being obedient to you no matter what comes 
Give us faith to believe these promises even when we doubt. And I pray that you'd give all of us the strength to keep moving forward and honor you in all that we do. Because you never leave us. You never forsake us. You are always with us, even in the middle, even in the waiting, even in the pits of our lives. So God, we honor you right now with our voices. Amen. Would you please stand?